Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to another week of Fantasy NBA Today. I'm your host, Dan Vespris. Weekend in the rear view. We turn the page towards another week of the NBA playoffs and another week here of off-season fantasy basketball content. I promise we'll get there somehow. Feels like we should be back in a season now, but... <sighs> nope. Little ways to go. I know. I know. Feels like a long one. I uh, I mentioned on Friday's show that I thought we'd do another episode of the uh, Old Man Squad breakdown on Monday. Um, but that was before I realized that... Uh, Los Angeles Unified schools are off today, so I had to rearrange some things, and no YouTube show today, so I kind of wanted to save, I wanted to save the next chunk of the old man squad for one that we could do on YouTube and on the recorded channels, and today, recorded only, that's right, you old schoolers, you guys get the only show here on this uh, Monday, April the 24th. We got a couple things to talk about today. Uh, we're going to get into the San Antonio Spurs. That's the third team on the well, you know, kind of our slow plotting uh, league in review series here that we're trying to mostly match up with what's dropping over at SportsEthos.com. That one dropped on Friday, and those jerks uh, put one out over the weekend too. So they're already one ahead of me. They got they already got their Hornets one rolling in the mix. Uh, so I'm rolling one behind now. I don't know when I'm going to do the Hornets one. My guess is probably on Wednesday, um, but I don't know. Will I catch up at some point? Maybe. Maybe when we run out of uh, old man squad stuff and we're just alternating between lessons learned and uh, team in reviews. But anyway, we'll talk about the Spurs. That's one that's come up a bunch of times here as we've kind of gone through some of the hits and misses of this season because they were... I don't want to necessarily say the biggest offender in the tank battle, but they were the team impacted the most by attempting not to win. In that, the Rockets, they played their guys. They're just terrible. They lost. Detroit lost Cade Cunningham, but they pretty much played their other guys. They're just bad. The Spurs opened the season, what were they, like 5-2 and two to start the year when they were playing their guys? Vassell and Keldon Johnson and... Trey Jones and everybody was, Jakob Pertl was playing minutes. And then they dialed him back and Vassell decided to get a midseason two-month surgery and Trey Jones missed whatever it was. I think he had a toe thing. and They traded Pertl and Sohan was mostly shut down. And then the whole thing, I mean, that was a, the Spurs were pretty egregious with it. But we don't even really care anymore. As a society, we don't even really care. In any event, I am Dan Vespers, by the way. You guys likely know that if you're listening here on the recorded channels because ain't nobody tuning in for the first time on April the 24th. But maybe you are. Maybe this one time someone new is floating in there. So welcome if you are, for some reason, just looking for a Spurs pod today. I do also want to talk about what happened over the weekend in the playoffs, not from a broad, like, we need to go over every ballgame standpoint, but more so what's happening tonight, and then what can we draw from the weekend games and then from the games happening in that series that, or the, the ones that already concluded 
earlier in that series. And it's just a two-gamer tonight. Bucks and Heat. Giannis is back from Milwaukee. Um, that's a big, beefy road line for the Buckaroos. And the Grizzlies and the Lakers are the late game, so the uh, the TV folks don't have to try to figure out a way to budget four games on the same day. Uh, we'll talk about what's gone on in those series so far. Bucks Heat, we're not going to talk about that much because we only saw Giannis for a quarter in the first ball game, and then we've been trying to figure out who's going to show up without him for a couple of nights. Lakers-Grizzlies is the one I think we can draw some better conclusions on, and, and we'll cover that in a minute. But first things first. The San Antonio Dam Spurs this year, who were, I'm I'm going to say, in my opinion, the most annoying team to roster someone on from an overall standpoint. Because their best fantasy options, Devin Vassell, who was uh, inside the top 80 and higher than that before they started to kind of mess with his minutes and yank him around a little bit, he was like, I think he was around 50 to start the year. Played in 38 ball games. Keldon Johnson, who started the year strong and then missed a ton of shots, then missed a bunch of free throws. His steals fell off, and he didn't really rebound like he did at the end of the previous year. He was 162. Also, they, they gave him 20 games off. 19, actually. Jeremy Sohan, not that he was a fantasy asset, but he only played in 56 ball games this year. Trey Jones played in 68. He was probably the most reliable of the bunch. He missed his 14 games basically all in a row, and then they actually kind of let him play down the stretch, which was surprising, but at least you know somewhat useful because he was good when the rest of his team was all sitting. And then you had Zach Collins, who was ranked 146 over the season as a whole, but if you're just looking basically from like January on, he was the team's best fantasy player, but they also gave him every other game off for the final, whatever it was, two, three weeks of the season or more. So you had to contend with the tank stuff, and there's no reason to believe that that won't be the case again next year. That, by the way, I believe, is even if they end up with the top pick in this upcoming draft. Which goes against some of what I've talked about on the show, which is like, you usually see teams tank until they get their guy, and then maybe they start to kind of push things the other direction. But this was the Spurs' first tank year. They basically traded everybody besides Jakob Pertl and DeJounte Murray last season, and then they still made the play-in tournament. And they were like, well, we were way too good. We got to get rid of DeJounte Murray. And then they were not very... I mean, they were still okay, actually, when they were playing all of their guys, but then they, need, they needed to tank even harder. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. 
Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Got to where they got. All that to say, I don't know that the fan base would be that upset if the Spurs got a top two pick, let's say, in this upcoming draft, and they got their future superstars of whatever kind of guy, whether it's Wambanyama or whoever, and still kind of throttled back for another season. Yeah, you get two. You know, a lot of teams, they tank, they tank, they tank, they, you know, they get the fourth pick. Detroit is a good example of this. They, they got Cade um, in what I think generally was regarded as a little bit of a weaker draft, and then whatever, it doesn't matter. I, I don't know that much about these draft things. You guys can yell at me all you want there. And he's he's been fine, but he didn't turn them around immediately. And I they were probably going to semi-tank this season anyway because they're just... Wasn't a whole lot around him that they were all that excited about. Jaden Ivey's cool. Jalen Duran is fun. But, th- you know, that's a team where if the ev- if the star player can look at the roster and say, you know what, we probably aren't going all that far. Let's just, let's just cool the engines for one more year. Let's see if we can pile up one or two more key assets, and then we'll start to make the turn. And it feels like the Spurs are in that spot. Where, I mean, put Wembenyama on this team. Let's say they get the first pick. That's the that Let's assume that that's what we're looking at going forward. And we can obviously reassess this stuff with San Antonio after the, we find out where they end up in the draft lottery. Uh, but let's say, let, put Victor on this club. How good do they get in his rookie season? Zach Collins, who's, you know, we'll talk about these players in a second. Decent enough, but, you know, you know the superstar center. Trey Jones, he's fine. I like Devin Vassell. Keldon Johnson is decent. They've got a they've got a, a host of decent put around this hypothetical Wembenyama team, but that's that's still not a ball club that's even making the play in the Western Conference. You saw how competitive it got for those last couple of spots at the end of this year. I mean, winning winning getting to around 500, which is basically what teams needed to do if they wanted a shot at it. What, were, what did the Thunder finish out like? One game under. I'll look it up while we're talking here. It's the magic of the internet. Two games under. Pelicans, how the hell did all that go? Pels were two games over. Thunder were two games under. They just did slip in there, and then, you know, they won the 9-10 battle, so whatever. But, like, Spurs are 22-60. and 60. If they weren't actively tanking, do they get maybe closer to 30? Do we think that that was like an eight-win differential trying to lose resting guys versus trying to win and playing them. You could maybe make that argument. I might, I might, yeah, I mean, that's fair. Uh, put Wembenyama on that team, how far do they go from 30? 35? 36? 37? 38 still wasn't getting it done. But then they're not going to jump 20 wins with one draft. So then you get into this, this that in-between of like, all right, well, you know, do we want to push? Do we want to end up like Utah or the Pacers or the Wizards or something like that where we're like in the mid-30s and wins or even the Blazers who did manage to successfully tank their way into that like bottom five or six joint. But do we want to end up in the mid-30s where we're sniffing the play-in but really not super competitive for it? And then we end up with a draft pick that's not going to really change our fortunes out that much, and we're hoping that these guys can just continue to grow and get over the hump. No, most teams are smart enough to know that if that's your ceiling, you just go lose again. Go try to get another top three pick. 
top four pick, whatever. Someone that can be, even if it's not a franchise changer, someone that can really be an infusion around the guys getting better. So it it strikes me as likely, and we can't know until we get there, but it sure strikes me as likely that this was the front end of at least two years of Spurs trying to be in the bottom five in the NBA, or at least certainly ending up there. So as we then now look at some of the players on this team and, and sort of try to make heads or tails of what they were or weren't this season, you got to take that into account looking at next year. Take, thing to take into account, number one. Let's start with Trey Jones, because he was, by all accounts, the only spur that you could really trust that when he was healthy, he played in the basketball game. Played in 68 games, which was around league average. He was just inside the top 100 by on a per-game basis, which puts him right in that same neck of the woods by totals. I think he's like a one-slot difference. 94 per game, 95 totals. He was a playable dude. We don't know who the Spurs are going to get in a draft. Let's say that it's not a point guard. Let's say that the point guard spot continues to belong to Trey Jones next year. You can probably make a pretty safe assessment that that's around where he'll end up next year. Because if they didn't feel like they needed to rest him every single day this season, when they were very clearly trying to get into that Wembenyama sweepstakes, there's no reason to think that they'll force rest him extra next season either. All right, top 100 guy. Great. Believe it or not, that's probably your safest play on the head-to-head side. I honestly don't know if I'm drafting other Spurs in my head-to-head league. And that made just well damn go for all of them. Because, well, now here's the caveat to that, is where are they going to go in drafts? Is Devin Vassell going to get drafted inside the top 100? Maybe. I'm going to say, yeah, probably he will. Will Zach Collins, if he's the starting center? Yeah, he probably will. Will Keldon Johnson? Unfortunately, (laughs) he probably will. I don't know that there's anybody on this team that I feel like has that decent per-game upside that's going to get drafted 100 or later. Now, I could be wrong about that, and luckily, me being wrong about that particular guess doesn't really impact us in any way right now. Because we'll know the answer to that question before we have to make a decision on the San Antonio Spurs. If we get to August and Zach Collins' ADP is 108, fine, take a shot on it. Hope that he plays 62 ball games, and that probably ends up being worthwhile because on a per-game basis, provided they don't end up with a big man, that would displace him. Again, this, you know, playing the hypothetical, this guy is still the starter kind of thing. Then he becomes worth it. But if we find out in August that Zach Collins' ADP is like 82, I don't think I can do it. Now, that's an end of the seventh round kind of guy. You can look back. Don't look at the ADP numbers from these things because those are those are full of you know what. It's full of full of poo. Go to the actual results from some competitive league you're in and look at the seventh round. Look at who was going in that range and decide. Hey, is it worth taking a shot on someone who might just be in full tank mode this year? I'm looking at one of my competitive leagues. Seventh round, Larry Markinen. Ah, that was me. Good for me in this one. Julius Randle, Jeremy Grant before he got shut down versus after. See, that's a perfect example of that. 
mean, that's kind of what you're looking at with Keldon Johnson is what Jeremy Grant turned out to be this year. And we didn't even think Portland was going to be tanking. Sure, Jeremy Grant was solid inside the top 70 on a per-game basis, number 67, but 63 ball games. If you're in a head-to-head league, that's not going to work. That pushes him back out towards the edge of the top 100, and then he didn't also he didn't play down the stretch. The reason that I'm willing to take a plunge on some guys if their ADP is late enough, even in a head-to-head league, is because sometimes it's worth it to go get someone who's going to blow their ADP on a per-game basis, who's going to blow their draft slot out of the water by three, four, five rounds or something wild like that. Like, if you could get, let's say, we'll just keep talking about Zach Collins, and I don't think this is going to be the case, but let's say that he's getting drafted like 125 next year. Yeah, obviously, I mean, even in a head-to-head league, you take a shot on him there because what if he goes top 75 per game for four months before they start screwing with him? That's four important months where your, you know, 10th, 11th round pick is hoisting your fantasy team towards maybe a first round buy in the playoffs. And yeah, maybe you have to replace him when you get there in your fantasy playoffs, but that's okay. Because most of the time, you're not going to get something that useful out of your 10th, 11th round draft pick. But again, if you got to take him in the 6th, 7th round when the last month of the season, month and a half or whatever, is very much up in the air and pre-tank could also creep into the equation, that just becomes too hard for me to say yes to in head-to-head formats. Today's show has a little bit of a different feel to it because where with a lot of these teams who are kind of going through them one by one, with the Spurs, they're all the same bucket. Uh, certainly the ones that were that pushed top 100 or better per game value. I mean, look we'll go all-star break on. Zach Collins played in 15 games over since like mid to late February, but he was top 40. Trey Jones played in 16 games. He was top 70. Nobody else was upright for a lot of these games, so yeah, I mean, okay. Devin Vassell played in nine games. They had him fully uh, in bubble wrap. He was 146. We know that wasn't really the case. Keldon Johnson only played in 11. I mean, was that, like, this was insanity. Keldon, not really on my radar for next year. I know the scoring is nice. Um, If you're in a format where that plays, go right ahead. But, I mean, that's basically points league. But, like, Devin Vassell, Trey Jones, Zach Collins, those are guys that we saw this year when given full normal starters minutes. They were inside the top 100, all three of them. By how much is kind of inconsequential, inconsequential for this discussion. You know, Trey Jones just inside the top 100. Devin Vassell more like 60 to 75 range. Zach Collins probably also in that neighborhood, but, you know, a little bit better than that here during his kind of audition run where he was going big. I get it. You know, those last two names I listed, Vassell, Collins, probably a little bit better than Trey Jones per game, but I still push them all into the same bucket. Those three guys in particular. Those are the ones you're thinking about drafting next year. And you have to figure out if it's going to be worth it. So it doesn't matter that one of those guys averaged, you know, 13 and 7 or whatever it is. And the other one was 16 and 4 with a steal and a couple of three-pointers. And the third one was 17 and 8 with a steal, a block, and a three. Yeah, I mean, that's cool. Uh, That's not going to keep up all season. Again, not the point. 
That's cool. But in my mind, the discussion here is almost the same on all three of them. With a very slight corollary on Trey Jones, who doesn't have quite the same upside unless he adds a three-pointer. So we don't really need to break down each individual player on the San Antonio Spurs. You're just talking about three main guys for category leagues. Throw Keldon Johnson and maybe even Jeremy Sohan into the mix for points league stuff. But the discussion for those guys becomes the same also. Points leagues, typically head-to-head for points formats. Is this something where this player could be good enough to be worth drafting if you you can feel pretty damn confident that they're not going to be there down the stretch. And you know what's even worse than not being there? Being there like a third of the time. Because then you're stuck going, do I drop? Do I wait to see if this dude's going to play in their next ball game? And they never get the damn IL tag. Although we're going to do a whole show on the IL versus the IL plus debate, which isn't even a debate anymore. IL plus just kind of needs to be the way Mandalorian style. This is the way. IL Plus, this is the way. We'll, we'll, we'll dedicate some more time to that on another day. For this one, for San Antonio, when it comes to draft day next year, first of all, if you're in a GamesCap Roto format, this discussion becomes a whole heck of a lot easier. But they still need to be going later. I still don't want to spend a 6th or 7th round draft pick on someone whose maximum number of games played is like 65 That's the target number for these teams when they're in rest and tank mode. Not a worst-case scenario. That's more the best case. 68 is the best case. Normal case is like 64. That's just, you know, unless you think Zach Collins is going to keep up top 40 all season long, meaning you kind of need these guys to be able to beat their per-game draft slot by two to three rounds or more, even on the roto side, for it to make sense. Or, if they're getting drafted outside the top 100, if you think you can get an inside the top 100 guy, someone who can hold the boulder, maybe you don't push it forward, but they don't let it roll back onto your face and flatten you like a pancake. Those guys, if they're going outside the top 100 and you can get, you know, 90 range or better, then you consider it, again, more so on Roto than head-to-head. Of these dudes... I don't think Zach Collins goes outside the top 100 if indeed he is still listed as the starter for the Spurs at big man spot. I don't think Devin Vassell falls that far. I know that he missed a very large chunk of this year, but everybody saw how good he was when he was out there. So I I just, I don't know how they let it dangle that far down the board. Trey Jones, who was going in the like 80 range, you could see him falling off by a couple of rounds. So maybe he ends up being the one where you're like, all right, 115 Let's just go Trey Jones. Maybe we can squeeze out, you know, 85 to 105 range, and that'll basically play throughout the season. But be damn careful. Way more careful than I was this last year. I got suckered into a couple of spurs, and I feel terrible about it. But a lesson must be learned, and I feel like perhaps I have. No promo today. Time is short, and uh, I'm I'm uh, beat to a pulp. <laughs> I'll get through it, man. I'll get through it. Uh, so let's pivot over and see what's going on in the land of real, actual playoff basketball. Bucks open as a three and a half point road favorite over Miami. Giannis news bumped that all the way up to seven and a half. 
Woof, that's a lot to lay on the road. Total of 218. I think folks believe that Giannis is going to be a force on the defensive side of the basketball. You got to kind of look back at, at what went on with these games without him, but also you can't draw that much away from it. Miami beat Milwaukee 121 to 99 in the last ball game. That's 220. Um, Miami's not going to score 121. Bucks are not going to score 99. And the pace is going to be different. So, uh, by the way, uh, man, you feel for Victor Oladipo, who another season-ending injury. Yeah, I mean, he just had that run at the beginning of his career, and and all the promise in the universe, and and just he just he won't stay healthy. But it, it's really hard to handicap this series now. With this is kind of like our first Giannis game, so I would say. From a smart, from a, a a sort of chill standpoint, just sit on it. Don't do anything nuts. Um, it's a lot of points to get at home for Miami, but, you know, the Bucks are coming in desperate. And, the, it, I mean, this could go so many different ways. Grizzlies-Lakers are the one I think I'd rather spend a, a minute or two on um, because the Lakers opened up that, that whopper of a lead in the first quarter on Saturday and then kind of threw it into cruise control the rest of the ball game. They ended up winning by 10, but the game really wasn't close. John Morant uh, was absolutely positively insane in the fourth quarter. It was, it was really a sight to behold. 45 points, nine boards, 13 assists. I think he scored 22 straight points for his team during one part of that deal. Uh, for the Lakers, they have to decide if they want to defend him any differently. My guess is that they won't change much. Just try to keep him from getting out in transition. Dare him to hit six three-pointers again because, you know, Ja, for all of the things that he does incredibly well, he's not a spectacular three-point shooter. He's fine, but he's not spectacular. He hit one and a half out of five during the regular season this year. So hitting four times your expected marker was uh, a small surprise. Career 32%er from downtown, so you can't just completely leave him wide open, but I believe the, the advanced data talks about how his best three-point shooting is on catch and shoot, which he frankly doesn't get that many chances on when he's the guy initiating a lot of the offense. So he just went nuts, kind of walking into a lot of three-pointers in that last ball game. Uh, my guess is that the Lakers don't change up how they defend him and just expect the result will reflect uh, sort of the long-term sample thing, but that isn't always the case. This game is a four-and-a-half-point line, Lakers by four-and-a-half, which kind of feels like it's begging for Lakers money. That seems low to me, but, I mean, that's about where it was, I guess, with, with Ja back in there. It has the... These two teams pretty close to a pick em. Um, Maybe Lakers by like a half point to a point. Boy, folks expect the uh, the Grizzlies to bounce back. I actually think that... Well, okay, so let me take one step backward. A lot of money's coming in on the over. Um, money on the side is relatively well split. Um, I think the Lakers figured out a few things before game three. Um and, it, it, you know, if John Morant doesn't go fully nuts, then this one is extremely ugly. They play JJJ better. They've had a pretty good game plan for Desmond Bain. They had a better game plan for Xavier Tillman, who was getting loose because of their game plan on Desmond Bain. 
And so then it comes down to Ja. How much can he do? Lakers are trying to force him into difficult spots where he's looking at a lot of faces and, you know, drilling a ton of shots and then getting out in the open was how he got going. Ja was great. I don't want to take anything away from him. Not not the not the uh the goal of that at all. Um and then on the Lakers side, you know, a little more of the same. They still haven't gotten a lot offensively out of D'Angelo Russell. Rui Hachimura has been fantastic. AD was better. Um, but the Lakers, is, it's hard to see what they got out of this ballgame either because they didn't try very hard after the first quarter. In fact, you could see Darvin Ham was trying to get his superstars a little extra rest in the first half. So LeBron, 36 minutes in a playoff game. That's pretty low. AD, 38 and change. That's not that much either. Lakers didn't have anybody get to 39. Nobody got to 40. I know it's weird to like try to buy some time, but there was a little bit of that going on. Um, I think this is going to be a really close ball game. I think it's going to be a lot more like game one, where Memphis kind of got out in front in game two, and the Lakers never really caught up, even though it, you know it wasn't the blowout that game three was. Game one was close until the Lakers went on whatever, like a 15 nothing run in the last three minutes of the ball game or something crazy. Uh, I think this one's going to be relatively tight as well. Um, Grizzlies have a pretty good game plan on L.A. defensively also. Um, we haven't seen the Lakers have a, a better shooting game, which could still happen. Uh, Lakers have a very good game plan for Memphis now, and this is like the typical thing. As series go on, you start to see the defense react to the offense. The offense loses the adjustment battle as the series goes, and then it's just like, all right, well, who's going to be who's going to execute a little bit better in these key moments. The thing to keep in mind in this ballgame, though, this was about the lowest possible expected point total given the way the two teams were playing because it was a relatively high-tempo game, especially, you know, once a team falls behind by 30, they have to start just chucking a little bit, so Memphis started to play really fast. Lakers tried to slow it down a ton in the fourth quarter, and they were able to do that. Just limit the number of possessions late, although, again, jaw going crazy kind of blew that up a little bit. Uh, but this ballgame was actually played relatively fast. I believe that this game tonight moves a little more slowly. Um, I think the total is more accurate than folks are giving it credit for, but just from a pace standpoint, if you expect these teams to have even a little bit more offensive success, you would start, actually, by looking at the over. Um but I'm not, I, I wouldn't get on it. It's not enough for me. I, I would need this line to be significantly lower than 221 and a half if I'm getting on the over, because I do think that adjustments are going to continue to move the numbers down in these playoff series, just the way that you pretty much always see. And if you look back at kind of the way things have unfurled when the these two teams played on the 19th, the one before that, that was Memphis 103, Lakers 93. The first game was Lakers 128, Memphis 112. The pace has been pretty consistent, like right around 225 to 230 possessions. It's just, you know, mostly, I guess in game one, you saw Memphis get badly out-rebounded. But game two and game three, and also with all the missed shots, it does seem to kind of drive up the pace of the game. So if you see a little bit more efficiency, if you see the Grizzlies try to take better care of the basketball here in game four... Uh, you see them try a few new things. I think the biggest change between Game 3 and Game 4 is that the Grizzlies are going to have a better defensive approach with some of the uh, some more of a 
I guess there's two screeners for the Lakers. Some are calling it a double drag. It seems to be the nomenclature is not set in stone on this thing. I think the Grizzlies will have a better game plan for some of the stuff the Lakers were running. And so then you're going to see teams go to now their sort of like third, fourth, fifth things that they've come up with. And that's, again, when the defense starts to win. So I hate to say it, even though the pace has been high, but I, I, I think the teams do struggle to score again, and I would... I know you want to look at this and say it seems like from a speed standpoint this thing should go over. I just I don't think it does. I think this one finishes around 215, 216, 217, which, again, not enough room for me to get in on it, but that's the way I'd look. And on the side, I think the Lakers probably pull away late in this one, but, man, it feels like a tight ball game. Uh, this feels like one of those ones where, you know, maybe the Lakers win, but the Grizzlies cover. So I'll play keep away but again if you're looking at these two games today grizzlies lakers ever so slightly to the under is probably the closest thing i've got to uh to digging in taking the spoon out and chowing a little bit okay uh i'm completely and utterly exhausted i have not been uh feeling well for the better part of like nine days uh apologize folks for this one not having a uh, a tv component with it um but uh, we'll hopefully get back uh, back up on the horse tomorrow. Iron Man streak will never die here on the recorded side. I'm not letting that happen. Not no way, not no how. I am Dan Vespers. On, be- on behalf of the uh, Wizard of Oz, <laughs> uh, this is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Anything else you need, hit me up on social at Dan Vespers. I just don't have the the juice to do a bunch of promos today on the pod, so we'll get those in tomorrow other than to quickly mention that again we are continuing to recruit here at sports ethos for all four major sports season long dfs whatever um and also if you want to be a part of any of our leagues in those sports hit me up on twitter at dan vespers i will see all of you on social and you will see my face tomorrow so long for now